My name is Joe Painter. Welcome to another edition of Backstage Pass. It's the Boscovs Berks Jazz Fest Backstage Pass brought to you by the Berks Arts Council. And we appreciate that here on the People Chronicles. With me is Tim Price. How are you doing, Tim? How are you? I am wonderful. It's good to see you. Likewise. You are, no kidding, one of the country's foremost woodwind instrumentalists. If you say so. (laughs) Hey, I read it. When you read it, you know it's true. And um, saxophone, your instrument of choice. Yeah, absolutely. Clinician, educator, and you went to Berkeley. Graduated from Berkeley, which is a different... Oh, you know what? Thanks for the correction. You went to and graduated are two different things. (laughs) So you made it through. In that era, it was much different. (laughs) But you started all right here in Reading. I did. In the Reading area. Um, Who were your teachers? Who were your mentors? It's interesting because... one of the guys' daughter sitting right over here. Really? But this area <laughs> where we're, we're filming this was a downtown area where I would get the bus to go to my music lessons. So the people that were here that touched what I did were people like her dad, Joe Miller, who, in my humble opinion, as they say, really was one of the saxophone players that played on a... In the grand scheme of things, he played on a major level. He, had, he was a melodic swinging player. Um, he was no nonsense as a human being, which helped me as a kid. You know, uh, Sam Crenny was my flute teacher. I studied piano with Ralph Tragel. I studied clarinet and sax with Joe Miller. Sounds at, like he was a mentor to you. Well, yeah, because, you know, how many people when... In those days, Berkeley, where I went, was called, you know, and, and I'm giving you an idea of how old I am, it was called Berkeley School of Music. So mm-hmm. instead of going to one of the other illustrious, you know, schools that, in those days, saxophone was not considered a major. So what did you major in? Well, at Berkeley, I majored in saxophone. Heck oh, yeah, okay. you know, but okay. a lot of places, they were, you know, we... We'll only take you if you play clarinet or an orchestral instrument. Now everybody has a jazz program, so to speak. Well, when you're a kid, something sparks your fire. Something, you know, goes, yeah, I want to do that. And it sounds like you saw Joe Miller play and you went, yeah, I want to do that. Was that an inspiration to go on and study and get a degree in that? I don't know. You know, like, Joe was certainly, like, a driving force in... um, giving me a reality of, of learning reality? of learning how to play. You know, he, he knew about jazz, and if I said to him, like, hey, I bought, like, an Art Pepper or a Charles Lloyd record, Joe would relate to that, you know. And what, what I was referring... What, what would he relate to well, on I a think record he, like that? Well, yeah, he, he was aware of the great players, Stan Getz, Art Pepper. Yeah. Yeah. You know, he, he was... 
really thrilled when I went to Berkeley and I told him I was studying with Charlie Mariano because Charlie was a, a major league soloist at, at a point with Stan Kenton. Later became like a world, you know, he had two careers at one right after another when he moved to Europe, Mariano. Uh, but, you know, there was sort of like I said to earlier, Joe wasn't PC. So he'd tell you right out, which I think is sorely missing today because you know, when you're young, you have to be told the difference between right and wrong, whether you like it or not. And in music... You need a reality check. Oh, man. Yeah. Daily. <laughs> <laughs> it's not... I'm just going to make a statement, and maybe it's not fair. Is it, is it all it's cracked up to be? A career in music? Or all it's cracked up to be in your mind. That could be different for every person, but certainly seems very, well, very glamorous and fun, you know? So my mind and everybody else's mind are two different okay, things. Okay, so let's go in your mind. Have you found this career in music and your your status right now in, in the musical world and in the world of musicians is as somebody to look to. You are now mentoring others. Um, was it at any point, you thought, you know, I'm going to get a saxophone and I'm going to play. I'm going to play the clarinet and the keyboard. I'm just kind of fun. Or is it a lot more hard work and a lot less glamour? I never thought about that. I never thought about the glamour. I never really wanted to be like, you know, hmm. some, some glamour child. And I still don't, you know. Uh, I want to be accepted for what I do. That's nice. Uh, I ended up where it turned around on me, you know. Um, I became accepted by my peers, you know, because so, of talent. That's, you're good. You're good. You know, either that or I'd be missing teeth in the, in the <laughs> era I came up in. You know, I mean, I, I was accepted by my peers. Uh, one of the things that I'm proud of is, I, like I said, I graduated from Berkeley in 73. The guys that were my mentors there, Charlie Mariano, uh, Andy McGee, who's still alive, Joe Viola, a major force in all the saxophone players in the world, and also John Laporta, who was another guy, uh, they stayed in contact with me my entire life. I would think in this world that you're talking about, this musical, this jazz world, there's no faking it. You no, have to work but, and know what you're doing, and that's how you gain that respect. Yeah, I think it also is helpful that, you know, uh, the era in which I came up in, I was able to look at things and sort of see, I think I can do that. You know, like, hmm, you know. And as we were talking, there was things that drew me to, like, that's pretty cool. And I saw how an audience related to stuff. You know, um, and one of the things that got me was when I was young and to this day, which I'm quite involved in, was almost like a grits and gravy organ group sound, like which is what Greg Hatza like, and yeah, I yeah. are doing for the festival, which is what we do. Um, we're not like recreating something because somebody said, wouldn't it be nice to do a quote-unquote organ project? We live that stuff. You know, I played with almost every major jazz organ player but Jimmy Smith. Isn't that the organ, the Hammond B3, 70s, when that was, it's, really it's, hit? It's, it's, it's and stuck. It became more, more popular. It became I happening think. in the 60s with Jimmy oh, okay. Smith. Uh, I played with one of the granddaddies of that, Bill Doggett, who wrote a tune called Honky Tonk. Uh, one of the gigs we did at Building 24, 
and uh, John was there, as w were a couple of local guys that knew me, and Greg and I were playing a blues, and there's a real famous lick in Honky Tonk that is almost like the thumbprint of Honky Tonk, and by accident, this sucker slipped out when I was sold in on a blues, it broke everybody up, and it, you know, it, it was a nice quote. Um, the organ thing, I think, is probably the best thing when you're really trying to relate to people. If I came in and did one of my things with, like, electric bassoon and uh, that kind of stuff, it might not be as effective. Mm -hmm. You know, um, I brought in bands with Rachel Z, who played with Peter Gabriel and Wayne Shorter, you know, and that had... Her dad heard that and loved it, by the way. Uh, but... The organ group has a different vernacular mm. than okay. anything else. You can't fake an organ group. Like, you know, there's a certain atmosphere that comes down on the bandstand. There's a drummer that plays with Greg named Robert Shahid from Baltimore, who is what I would call an organ group drummer. So there's a certain vernacular and there's a certain thing that has to be paid attention to. Otherwise, it's not effective. You know, it's, you just can't... You can't put on a hat and do it. I, I would agree with that wholeheartedly, and you're keeping that vernacular alive. I and, hope so. And exposing more people in, in terms of your experience teaching and as a clinician. Um, how is it different? Are you, do, is it harder to get kids engaged in this? Because there are so many distractions in this world we live in that perhaps weren't there in the 60s. Is it different? Well, Getting people fired up about this. This gig is special because, number one, there's no one like Greg Hatzer. Greg is originally from Reading. Um, his parents used to own the Boston House, local color, right? Um, his mom, I think, as a matter of fact, and dad were like, you know, pillars in that community. And Greg had played as a young guy at the Grand Hotel, which is at 7th and Franklin. Um, there's a few younger organ players that are major league names, right? Um, I would say if I had my choice to record with somebody, it would be, unless, you know, somebody was forcing me financially to do something, which would be, you know, another conversation. But Greg would be my choice anyhow, because Greg, to answer your question as I'm getting about this a roundabout way, as much as I teach and as much mm -hmm. as I've studied and I, I still, you know, I still study. I, I take bassoon lessons with, a, you know, an associate principal bassoonist in New York. You That's know. interesting to hear. You're still studying. Well, yeah, man, because yeah. knowledge is a weapon. Yeah, yeah. You know, and uh, this is not, you know, this is not the Cub Scouts out here. I mean, let me ask you about that, Tim. You're, you're a, an extraordinarily accomplished musician. You are still studying. And then we have this Boscov's Brooks Jazz Fest here in the community. What does that do for you? Well, you talk about yourself and Greg, your local musicians, to have an event like this, which is internationally known, quite frankly, mm. here in your backyard in terms of exposure and education for yourself and for other people. What does that do? Yeah, to have that right here. It makes me feel good because one of the things is it's really hard to 
to teach what it is we're playing because it has to be learned on the bandstand. It has to be heard and felt. There's notes, there's notes and, and things that you do and don't do. There's also more of, like I said, a thing that has to happen. And that's not in the textbook. And as much as I'd like to say, you know, and, and BS somebody and say, oh, yeah, well, you know, no, it's not you something. You feel it. Yeah, it's yeah. not, not going to be in a book. You have to be on the bandstand. Like with organ players, like I played with, with like Brother Jack McDuff. I played with Bill Doggett. You know, I played with uh, Jimmy McGriff in certain things that Hank Crawford was involved in, a great saxophone player who it had, was a profound influence on Dave Sanborn. You know, and you got to be on the bandstand with somebody who's your boss, and when something ain't right, they turn around to you and say, don't do that. And in no uncertain terms, there's times where you could also hear you're fired instantly for that kind of stuff. So it's so that difficult. sounds like a technical error that you're describing as opposed to... So at the same time... It's on-the-job training. Be, all right, so you're going to do that technical training and be sharp as a whistle. But at the same time, you've got to draw up some emotion because the music is emotion. You yeah, know, well, it had, there, had to be a, there has to be emotion in that type of music more so than anything else because... Yeah. The, in those days, like whether it was Seventh and Franklin or uh, like Estelle's in Boston or like, you know, all the different places, the Key Club and the Club Baron and all the organ bars, the people were this distant from the band. Hmm. So you could feel somebody didn't like something and maybe also you could really feel it if they didn't like something. Yeah, yeah, you're going to pick up on all that energy. No, you somebody, yeah. you're going to get a vibe. And, mm -hmm. you know, the, mm -hmm. the leaders knew that. It's like, you know... It's, so it's like, this is an opportunity, because it's not often that you can be, as you said, this close to musicians, and you can at the Boscovs-Burks Jazz Yes, it's just right. So we're lucky, huh? Maybe. <laughs> <laughs> I'm feeling lucky that, number one, you're going to be there performing. You're going to be at Michael Tazi's iJazz Global Cafe? Is no, right? they didn't put us there. We're over Where are you going to be? We're at the one, uh, the jazz base, or whatever they call that. That is now. the iJazz Global that what Cafe that is? now, yeah. See, I don't even know where I'm playing. <laughs> you, you, you do know where you're playing. It's just a new name now. It's a new name. It is. It is. So you'll so be there. So that's called Michael Tazi's. Michael Tazi's iJazz Global Cafe. I hope he's the, there. I think he will be. I think he will. Are you going to be the first or second weekend? Opening or closing? We're opening. Opening weekend. Don't miss it. Don't miss Tim it. Tim Price. It's been a pleasure. Thank you so much. Hey, I thanks. Appreciate it was the conversation. great talking to you. You too. All right.